welcome to this week's edition of the Fact Checker Podcast. It is a super special and rare morning edition of our podcast session today. My name is Marissa Payne. I'm the Gazette's Cedar Rapids government reporter. I'm Michaela Ram. I'm the Gazette's healthcare reporter. And I'm Erin Jordan. I'm the Gazette's investigative reporter. And we are without our Scani, John Steppy. He's vacationing. You know, he's having fun, but no fact checking part of his fun today. So shame, shame on him. Um, now he'll come back refreshed and ready to check some facts next week. Um, but today we are uh, we're looking at a local fact check, which is um, new and exciting for us. We don't get too many local fact checks, um, but we'll be fact checking a county official today. Um, about some American Rescue Plan statements um, and data on COVID-19. So state and local governments across the nation right now are contemplating how to spend uh, their shares of funding allocated through the Federal American Rescue Plan Act, which is a $1.9 trillion COVID-19 stimulus bill intended to support the ongoing uh, public health response to the virus and lay a foundation for an equitable economic recovery. Uh, so Lynn County officials uh, focused on equity during an August 11th public forum at the downtown Cedar Rapids Public Library uh, while receiving input on how to uh, divide the county's $44 million allocation and uh, sharing information about the stimulus, pa- stimulus package with residents. In uh, communicating why equity is central to how this funding will be allocated, Uh, County Sustainability Program Manager Tamara Marcus spoke about how the COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated racial and ethnic disparities in the county, as shown in the virus's impact on individuals' finances and on their health as well. It's also worth noting that Tamara is challenging Cedar Rapids City Council member Dale Todd for the District 3 seat in the November 2nd local election. The statement that uh, Marcus made was that we see that 30% of people within Linn County who have had COVID-19 are Black, whereas Black people only made up 6% of Linn County's population. So we'll take a look at the data on Linn County's COVID-19 infections broken down by race. So Marcus attributed the data used in making her statement to an April 2020 Little Village article highlighting the racial and ethnic disparities in COVID-19 infections within Linn County. Based on Linn County public health data from April 23rd, 2020. So this was very early on in the pandemic, you know, about a month after, you know, life kind of changed for everyone a lot and, you know, shutdowns were implemented and things like that. Little Village reported that 153 of the 507 county residents who had tested positive for COVID-19, about 30.2% were Black. U.S. Census Bureau population estimates from 2019 show the county's total population is 6.1% Black. Um, At that time, Lynn County had 507 confirmed cases of COVID-19 and 33 deaths. A total of 241 residents had recovered, um, according to Little Village, and race was unknown for 107 cases and ethnicity was unknown for 116 cases of the virus. and the Little Village was covering uh, this on that day because the county, April 23rd last year, had just unveiled the, a revamped COVID-19 website with new data, with a new da- data dashboard to track up-to-date information about infections where you could sort it by zip code, age group, race and ethnicity, and take a look at other metrics. Uh, data on positive COVID-19 tests uh, by race and ethnicity had previously only been available online at the state level. Um, so just to take note of some of the tracking issues there, 
early on in the pandemic. And measures put in place by businesses and government entities to curb the virus's spread at this time uh, were much more restrictive. Um, and schools and workplaces had switched to virtual operations. Mask wearing and social distancing were just kind of beginning to come become normal practices. Uh, so now that businesses have returned to normal operations and government entities have relaxed mitigation measures um, and the highly contagious Delta variant is driving a COVID-19 resurgence, um, particularly in areas with lower vaccination rates, Flint County's total number of reported cases climbed to uh, 22,711 as of uh, Wednesday. So just uh, August 18th this week. Um, of those cases, white people made up 42% and black people made up 4%. Um, this is all according to the county data dashboard that is available online. Um, and it's worth noting, still, there, um, there are a lot of cases where the race and ethnicity is unknown. So 52% um, the race is unknown and 53% the ethnicity is unknown um, because this data was not tracked on early in, in the pandemic. Um, but a higher share of Black county residents have tested positive for COVID-19, even though white residents make up most infections. So when providing sources to the fact checker, uh, Marcus pointed to county data showing that over 8.2% of the county's Black residents have tested positive for COVID-19, compared with nearly 4.9% of white residents. Um, and the county calculates this data using 2018 U.S. Census population estimates. Um, so the point stands that racial disparities exist in regards to which residents can contract COVID-19, but Black residents now make up a smaller share of infections than last April, um, which is the point in time that Marcus referenced. So um, while the figures that Marcus used were correct and they were based on data from reliable sources with the Census Bureau and uh, the county public health data, uh, the information she shared regarding racial disparities in Flint County's total COVID-19 infections was over 15 months old. And, you know, things are changing fast all, all the time with this pandemic. So to use, you know, outdated data um, is worth noting. Um, and this outdated information overstates the proportion of Black people who have now tested positive for the virus relative to other races by 26 percentage points. Again, there was a difference of 30 percent to um, percent. So um, Marcus was correct, though, in the overall point that Black people are disproportionately bearing the pandemic's negative impacts, as a greater proportion of Lynn County's Black residents have tested positive for COVID-19 compared with white residents. So we landed on a B. This was one of those checks where I'm, I was reading through it, and as we start, as it started to kind of get toward the end, I'm like, thinking about the grade. And um, before I read your grade, I'm like, a, you know, a B had kind of settled in my head. And then I saw that that's what you had proposed as well. So I, um, I agree with the score. I think, um, you know, the, and we've talked about this a lot with COVID, you know, do, do we hold these speakers accountable for the data that there that is happening now? Or can they go back and cite statistics from earlier in the pandemic? You know, is it, um, does it make their statement accurate or, I mean, does it make their statement inaccurate if it's slightly outdated or, or drastically outdated? I mean, I think a few weeks ago, 
we had um, done the check with Marionette Miller Meeks, where she had talked about COVID transmission among children and had cited a study from early in the pandemic. And we dinged her for not um, having more up-to-date statistics. So I guess my question is, are the new data significantly different enough from the old data with the Delta variant now to have more of a discount than a B? Yeah, that's a really good point. Because um, in my head, the situation, and I feel like you talked about this really nicely in your in your check, Marissa, the situation now compared to what it was in April, it feels very different to me. Um, to your point about the Delta variant, we know the virus can spread much more easily now, so it can reach more people, more people can be infected, plus there's probably more opportunity. Well, I guess there's both more or less opportunities spread, right? Because now we have the vaccine to sort of help protect, but we also have businesses open. We're going to be going to school in person again here soon. Um, so in my mind, I feel like it is important to ding her for using outdated data or at least data that doesn't reflect current, um, current activity or sort of the current situation. I don't know. I don't know, though, if that would warrant a C, though. Um, it's a really good question. And I'm like, it's like it's circulating through my head a little bit still, I think. Yeah, because, I mean, I think why we dinged Miller Meeks for that, if I'm remembering correctly, was um, the situation had changed in such a way where I think she was using data from early on in the pandemic where um you know, she was kind of saying, well, kids don't really transmit it or get infected with it. I can't remember which. Um, but now, um, you know, as we kind of discussed in, in that fact check, the situation has changed. And, you know, we, we do know that kids can transmit it and become infected. And, you know, it's rare that they become severely ill. But I think that's why we kind of dinged her for that was because she was wrong you know, based on what we know now in using that data. Whereas, like, I gave Tamara some leniency here because her overall point was, it still stood, like, the data, you know, was from a different point in time, but it was correct for that point in time, and, in, you know, the disparities do still exist. Yeah. Yeah, this definitely seemed like a situation where the data she was using was used to further illustrate her point, maybe more prove that point. But I mean, the point is still true. It's just the data she used was outdated. Yeah, I thought it was interesting just how new cases of the Delta variant, and granted, it's a smaller pool of cases, how they are a lot more, you know, the share of um, um, Black infections is a lot smaller than with the previous um, surge. Um, and that could speak to vaccination. And, you know, because I mean, from what we're hearing, the people who are winding up in hospitals right now are unvaccinated people. So, you know, maybe that speaks to who in the county is getting vaccinated. Um, and maybe that speaks to who died too early in the pandemic. You know, um, a community can't really get new cases if those that were sick early on may have passed away before this point too. Not to say that that may be the case here, but um, I wonder if that's worth wondering about. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, the overall, like the, 
the better measure to use here is the measure of like what percentage of the population um, sort of by any given race has become infected with COVID-19. Like that says a lot more about who's um, experiencing the disparities here versus the overall share of COVID cases. Um, as Tamara was referencing from the April 2020 data, um, because of course, like especially as time goes on, um, you know, when most of the county's residents are white, it makes sense that most of the cases will be among white people. Um, so now that we have such a large number of infections, it makes sense that the disparities have, using that metric, seemingly have lessened. But then when you look relative to the population, um, you know, it's clear that the disparity still exists. And she could have made her point even with the updated data, right? Yeah, because, yeah, if she had used the other metric, that also would have gotten her point across. And it would be good if she, I mean, in from our perspective and for the public's perspective, it would be good to use current data. Um, but I, I do think in terms of the grade, like, we think of C as half true, half false. I think this is more true than it is half true. Yeah, and I think too, with her providing the additional sourcing of, um, you know, pointing to um, the population share data um, and, you know, being honest with like, this came from the Little Village article, and the, you know, the earlier public health data. Um, you know, plus I, I think like in, at least as she explained it, like in her head while presenting, she was going to say like the that this came from um, you know, a previous little village article, and then like it didn't come out verbally. So you you know, then if she had said it in such a way that was like, yes, this is April twenty twenty data, um, you know, versus just putting it out there, um, you know, then we, I guess, would be discussing giving her an A for that since she would have been saying, you know, this is from April. Yeah. I mean, I think that's worth something, but people's intentions and what they say yeah. in a fact check is not necessarily, I mean, like if we weren't checking her, then the public wouldn't know that. So I don't know that we should give her too much credit for what her intentions were, I guess. Yeah. I just mean, since we're, we're planning on um, giving a B versus like a C. Yeah. I, I agree with a B. Yeah, I would be comfortable with a B, too. Okay. Oh, I just was going to ask um, to the point about the Little Village article. Obviously, it's a good, um, credible publication, but since it cites our own local health department, and I think, you know, I mean, maybe we can just touch base with them and kind of get to that original data too, and maybe it's already, maybe it's online, or maybe it's not because they probably update their site. You know. Yeah, because I mean, it, yeah, I'll do some digging there. Maybe it's just available on the data dashboard already. Um, but in case it's not still broken out like that, I'll touch base with them. But at least uh, that there is a screenshot on the Little Village article of like what the county data dashboard looked like at that point in time, at least. So that helps. Yeah, that's cool. That's nice. 
Cool. Yeah. Well, should we uh, d discuss what potential check we might pursue for next week then? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so we were talking off the pod a little bit that I had gotten an email from Tax March Iowa, hoping, well, seeing if we would be interested in um, fact-checking this ad that has been airing in the Cedar Rapids market about Medicare and pharmaceutical costs. And so uh, we will play I it here. I diabetes. I depend on Medicare to get my medicines. It's not always easy, but I make it work. Now some in Congress make things even harder. They want a protection in Medicare that protects access to my medicines. Call it negotiation, but it really means the government decides what medicines I can get. That would make it harder for Medicare to get the medicines we need. Medicare means access. Please don't take that away. Pay for it by pharma. So a couple of things I heard in that, that some in Congress are looking to repeal some protections for people who have Medicare when it comes to their pharmaceutical costs and that people on Medicare would be unable to get some of the medications that they need. Um, that seemed to be the crux of it. There was no specific names named. Um, so that'd be good maybe to follow up, kind of see what, what uh, you know, act or what um, Congress member that they're specifically talking about. But I don't know. What do you guys think? It sounds like she's referring to, she mentions the word negotiating. So that's probably the issue they're talking about don't you think Michaela just whether drug companies or whether insurance companies can negotiate drug prices or what I don't know yeah that seemed to be kind of the issue um and whether that negotiation would then in turn reflect or lack of negotiation maybe would reflect in higher costs for Medicare members or costs that their companies won't cover yeah that was what I took away from it too so we'd have to find out whether there is a bill or was a bill that would repeal that negotiating power, do you think? Is that, mm -hmm. That's kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah. And who's yeah, that the sponsor is what of the ad? Um, let me see. Well, in the meantime, I was just looking up. So the group that asked us to do this and, you know, we accept suggestions for fact checks from anyone um so like individuals groups will consider any of those um it says tax march began in 2017 as a grassroots effort to demand accountability and tax fairness um has grown into a nationwide fight for economy that works for all of us not just the wealthy few so tax march working to fix the broken system and ensure all people have access to economic tools yada yada they want to push to repeal the 2017 gop tax scam that's their word so anyway that's kind of the perspective of where tax march is coming from the group that okay. asked for this and who's the sponsor and it's interesting, the ad, um, it's sponsored by Voters for Cures, um, which I'm not familiar with that group, but it was paid for by Pharma, P-H-R-M-A, which makes me think then that this ad is in favor of pharmaceutical companies rather than in favor of Congress, obviously. Um, and it has a website, betterwayformedicare.org. Um, I have not had a chance to look into these, but... Okay, so I'm just looking it up real quick here. When I looked up um, Voters for Cures, Pharma came up like in the same search results. So I wonder if they're the same entity. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it says, it looks like they're, they're fighting for biopharmaceutical innovation. I would guess that, yeah. And then the heading says America's biopharmaceutical companies. Mm. So this is like a coalition of companies that, you know, they maybe don't want negotiating or they want to maintain the, the prices, the higher prices, because they say they need it for research and development or something Mm. like that. Okay. Interesting. Not that all this matters to whether the, the check is viable and whether it meets our criteria. I mean, the context is interesting, though, because, I mean, the what they were saying in the ad was big enough um, that that context, I think, is is important. Um, I mean, I feel like we've done it in the past where if an ad airs in our market, then it, it kind of makes it fair game for checking. Um, it doesn't seem to be referring to any, like, Iowa-specific thing. Um, but I don't know. Are we are we interested in looking into this and and seeing what what can be done of this? I mean, I I I think so. I don't know. <laughs> you know, if anyone can tackle it, it would be our trusty healthcare reporter, Michaela Ram. Oh gosh. <laughs> Although um, I wonder if it's my like, am I up? Like, I don't want to make you jump into the into the queue ahead of your time, Michaela. But I mean, I'm happy to take this on. And then because I think I I had sort of maybe missed my turn like last time or something like that. So it all squares away eventually, I think. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm available and happy to take this on if, if and I can do some more digging into this and like ask for sourcing and background and all of this. And maybe once we kind of get some of that information, that, that'll be good clarity, too, on, on what exactly we're checking here. Yeah. I think it sounds like a good one to at least start pursuing. Okay, perfect. Well, I can start work on it for next week then. Cool. Cool. Yeah, well, it sounds like that's a wrap on this week's Fact Checker podcast. Um, Our podcasts are edited by Craig Jamolis. Podcast is produced by Stephen Colbert. And our music is Lobby Time by Kevin McLeod. Uh, I'm Marissa Payne. I'm Michaela Ram. And I'm Erin Jordan. Until next time, we'll fact check you later.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.